The ball is tipped, and there you are. You're running for your life. You're a shooting star. One shining moment is all on the line. One shining moment. Hey, college basketball fans, it's time for another installment of CBB 365. I'm Adam Hipsky, alongside Patrick Dallahan, as always. And today we will be joined by John Mugar, the founder and CEO of the basketball tournament, which is coming up July 4th through the 14th on ESPN. Fun interview with him. Later in the show, we'll talk a little bit about Cade Cunningham choosing to stay at Oklahoma State despite a postseason ban, Under Armour's breakup with UCLA, and some more news and notes from across the college basketball world. All right, and today we are joined by the founder and CEO of the basketball tournament, a.k.a. TBT, John Mugar. John, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Doing okay. Before you founded TBT, you were a, a TV producer and a comedy writer. How did TBT come to be? Like, was it an idea you had for a while? It started actually as a text message thread uh, amongst me and, and a friend of mine since uh, I was 13 years old, Dan Creel. And we were going back and forth one Sunday. And the first idea was what would happen if we put $50 million on the table and just threw an open tournament that anyone could play in. So we were going back and forth saying, you think LeBron would play? Do you think the Cavs would play? Would the Celtics enter for that kind of money? Would Euro teams enter? Would Kentucky enter? Would Duke enter? Could you kind of blow up the existing sports landscape by just throwing a huge pot of money at the end of something and and, uh, and we, we we became obsessed with it and it took about four months to go from that idea to what kind of resembles TBT today uh, four months of working it out in, in coffee shops and on off days when I wasn't working and and, uh, and writing it out so it's been it was about two and a half years to get from that point on TV when you created TBT, did you intend to field college alumni teams like Syracuse, Ohio State? Did you think that it would be so popular among universities to field teams? And which school was the first team to do that? We had an idea. Because the Cornell team that made the Sweet 16 at that time, I think it was in 2011, they had a run. And George Mason had a team that went to the Final Four. And those are the two that we would say uh, when we were talking to people about it, about the types of teams that might enter, like that maybe those players would want to get together after going in that run through March Madness and play again. They're not in the NBA. Uh, so those, those teams actually, one of them came together, the Cornell team did come together. I think they came together in our first year and they, they played. And um, it was, it was kind of cool to see it go from something we speculated on that we thought would happen to something that actually kind of happened. We didn't, we never anticipated the, the buy-in fans that we're getting today where mm-hmm. you have fans uh, filled with orange for Syracuse game, for Bayhams Army games, and of course what we saw in Wichita State last year with their aftershocks game where they had 7,500 people watching their first round of the game. Mm-hmm. 
So the TBT uses the ELAM ending to conclude its games, a method that's spreading quickly. We saw it this year in the NBA All-Star game. Can you give a quick overview of how it's used and how you came to use it in TBT for those who don't know what the ELAM ending is? Yeah. So we shut the game clock off and it stays off for the rest of the game at the four-minute mark, which four minutes to go in the game. And we set a target score. And the first team of the target score wins. Mm. So the, the reason we do that is because deliberate fouling plagues the end of basketball game because yeah. losing teams, trailing teams, have no choice but to foul as, as, uh, to prevent the game clock from running out. It's, it's the only strategy they have. And as Nick Elam, who brought the idea to us, pointed out, it's a failing strategy um, in all but maybe 1% to 1.5% of the time. So he personally went home and DVR 2,000 basketball games NBA and college basketball games. And out of those 2,000, he found that 1,000 games went the route where the trailing team deliberately fouled at the end of the game. And out of those 1,000 games, only 15 times did the trailing team come back and win. So it's a frustrating experience for fans. It prolongs the game, and it's, it's not an effective strategy. So it was his idea to create that formula where you shut the game clock off and set a target score on the first team there wins, and you saw on the All-Star game how, how well that played out. Mm. Yeah, and this year obviously has presented challenges that you haven't faced in previous years. How have you made sure that things are as safe as possible with testing and quarantining for this year's tournament? This year we're going to test, I think, every before they step on the court to play each other, every player will have perhaps six consecutive negative tests over 10 days. So that's a that's a pretty strict measure, mm. and we're also once teams start to come together to practice, we're going to say that a single positive test on a team results in the removal of that team because we have such a quick timeline for for our event. Mm. So I think between those two things, like everyone else, just trying to figure out how they conduct our our event uh, during a very challenging time, and those are the two two very uh, very strict measures we're taking. You guys ended up deciding to go with one single location, uh, which is different than what obviously all the previous tournaments have done with no, or you know, this year with no fans in Columbus. What things did you guys consider before making those decisions to choose? And uh, why did you choose Columbus? We chose Columbus because they had, they did such a great job um, managing the initial uh, coronavirus cases, mm -hmm. and it happens to be the site of our defending champions alumni team, the uh, Ohio State alumni team, which is called Carmen's Crew. Mm -hmm. So we had a good relationship with, with Ohio State. Uh, we knew we were going to come here even before, before the virus to play what we thought would be in front of uh, many fans. And so we had a relationship with the Explored with, other, with, with all of our potential partners where we should cite a single location quarantine tournament. And uh, it, it advanced in Ohio to be extent where we're comfortable playing there so we, we talked to about five or six other potential locations and um, we got close with them that Ohio was the best place for it and how did you guys go about selecting only 24 teams this year in the field which is less than the typical amount you guys have it was tough because we had over 120 teams apply mm -hmm. and it would have been hard to get down to 64 which is our normal field size mm -hmm. but to get to 24 means we had to leave a ton of teams outside that have played in TBC before, that played extremely high level, 
very prominent new alumni teams like St. Bonaventure, um, Iona, teams like that that we would, would have had, would have loved to have in, and uh, Tennessee and Washington, Nate Robinson's team. I mean, the, 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 the players and teams that we could not admit this year is really kind of astounding, and it, it would be it would be an amazing 64 team field. So mm-hmm. to get to 24 was really challenging, but we we relied on past performance in TBT pretty heavily. We relied on organization and reliability from the GMs as they created their team. And then um, a, a part of it was talent, of course, too. Mm-hmm. With the NBA heading towards a bubble environment, how have you guys walked the fine line between making sure players, coaches, and staff are safe without making them feel like they're trapped, like in a prison? The, yeah, I think in it, there's a greater good that we're all sacrificing for. When you're when you're here, and you can't, it's, you don't feel trapped as long as that greater good is uh, is apparent to everybody. Mm. And the greater good in this case is we want to come together as 350 people, players, staffers, production, etc., and put on the first basketball since March 12th in the country. And that that that's a huge goal, and it's something that our players are very proud of, and and. Uh, they, they, they think this is a great opportunity for them. And it's something that as, as a small business and staffers were, were very proud of and very focused on. So I think that that really helps alleviate that feeling of, of being confined and trapped. And, um, and, it, and it helps keep it very positive. And it, it gives you a sense that everyone's working, working towards something. So now that the planning of the tournament is pretty much done, what's one piece of advice you would give to the planners of the college basketball season? Tear up anything you've done before and just totally go to a whiteboard and start from scratch. Hmm. Forget the idea of uh, of regular season play, of conference play, of of playing over a certain number of weeks or months or or time and locations. Forget home home and away. Forget all of that. And just completely start from scratch, given the environment we're in today, um, given the tools you have available to you, uh, like testing, and and try to, to put on as many games as possible in the safest way possible uh, for the student-athletes. That's what I would do. That's, that sounds reasonable, I feel like. With the NCAA, we might not be able to tell, but... um. One of the teams that's been a real powerhouse for a few years is Overseas Elite. Um, they've obviously added guys like Nick Young and Joe Johnson to their squad. How important are those household names to the overall product of TBT, along with some former great college players like Eric Devendorf, friend of Bittman's history? They're very, they're very important for uh, for introducing basketball fans to TBT for the first time. Um, for those who have been fans of TBT now for, for six years, they there are kind of household names within TBT that that people know about and are fans of. But to expand our basketball universe and, and fans, we, to get a player like Joe Johnson is extremely valuable for us. Tapping into mainstream basketball media, tapping into the media where in towns where he used to play in the NBA. So that goes for a prominent college player like a Jimmer Fredette or a Devendorf or Dollinger. Uh, and anytime you get big players like that, it, 
it, it helps introduce the property to, to new, new fans. So it's very valuable for it. Have you ever considered kicking Overseas Elite out of the tournament for being too good? Never. I, I <laughs> love their run. They went 32 and 0. 32 <laughs> great mm. games. And um, I don't know. I, everyone, everyone used to say that, you, you know, they, they're kind of half joking. They, I think you're fixing these games. And then, remarkably, uh, we weren't. Mm. <laughs> but. Um, it, it was it was incredible. It's incredible to see a team run the table for four years in this format when you when you sit through all the games. And it's it's only I mean it's like the most remarkable feat that I've ever seen in basketball. But I think I, I saw all, all those thirty two teams. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I I, I thought that it was it's such a great challenge for any competitor to want to beat them. And we saw that over and over again after they had won back to back titles. That every team they played was just was so gunning for them to be the first team to take him out, and it was mm-hmm. awesome when uh, the Ohio State alumni team finally cracked it. What is your favorite team name in the TBT this year? You know, obviously there's the alumni teams, but is there a specific name or a team name that uh, steps out to you that you like? I the, well, this is a team that didn't make it in, but the Volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's got to be number one. Yeah, I like that one. I like that one. So to wrap things up today, obviously Carmen's crew is the defending champion and overseas elite. Like Patrick said earlier, added Nick Young and Joe Johnson. Uh, There's a lot of good teams this year. And uh, obviously we know we're going to expect some uh, competitive competition in July. But do you have a championship favorite going in or any teams to look at that are flying under the radar that we might not have seen before or Maybe that could make a run that we haven't seen make a run. Every team, every twenty, every one of the twenty four teams could could win. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but I'm a D three basketball player, and uh, and there's a team of D two guys who may get a shot, mm-hmm. and uh, they're waiting in the wings on standby. And I think if they get in, they can surprise some people. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to my D three roots and and go with the uh, the shocker in D two. All right, and what's that team name? It's called D2. All right, D2. Watch out for them. July 4th through July 14th. All games are on ESPN, correct? That's right. Check it out. ESPN July 4th through the 14th. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. So there's been a decent amount of news in the uh, college basketball community as of late. Cade Cunningham has announced that he's returning to Oklahoma State to play for one year because he's that good. He's going to go to the NBA, obviously. I mean, he's nasty, but sort of an interesting decision considering the fact that they can't play in the tournament. I mean, this decision was really interesting, and Oklahoma State, give credit to the Oklahoma State coaching staff for what they've done. They've reaffirmed about every single commitment they've had. They lost one transfer on the transfer market, but other than that, uh, they've got a couple transfer commits, and obviously, you know, locking up this Cade Cunningham, who's number one player in the country. Uh, so, really, just I give credit to the Oklahoma State coaching staff being able to lock this up. Uh, yep. We'll have Cade Cunningham come in next year and be ready to rock and roll for the regular season. Obviously, uh, you're, we're not going to see him in March unless they win the appeal, which is highly unlikely. So, 
Uh, we'll see Cade Cunningham next year in a college uniform, which, as we talked about last season, we would rather have that than anything. You know? Yeah, th- this is the best-case scenario. We would hate to see him pull a James Wiseman and, you know, head um, just work out for a season, you know, whether it was going to be at Kentucky or Duke or, you know, some of the schools Cade had in his final final list before committing to Oklahoma State. But uh, we're just lucky we're going to be able to see him in college next year. He's a great player uh, in the Big 12. He'll probably make Oklahoma State one of the best teams in the Big 12, but unfortunately we're not going to see them in March. But, uh, yeah, big news. Cade Cunningham's going to stay at Oklahoma State and play his one season there, mm-hmm. and then he'll be off to the NBA. So another big uh, commitment is really Andrew Nebhard. He's committed mm-hmm. to uh, – well, he was originally in the draft out of Florida. Then he pulled his name out so that he could transfer. And now he's committed to Gonzaga in Spokane, Washington. They've handled this unbelievably well, right? They're not having him going and play right away. They're like, hey, you can – that like they're one of the best programs in the country and they're not applying for a waiver for them, which I think is an excellent move. I think that's a very smart move. I think that's the mature move so that his game can get better. He can develop. Well, yeah, like you said, Nemhard entered the NBA draft and I really never understood that. I didn't think he was an NBA draft prospect really. Uh, he had an okay season at Florida. I mean, obviously he wasn't one of the better guards in the SEC when you talk about some of the guys that Kentucky had. And, mm-hmm. I mean, was he – is he a good player? Yeah, I think he's going to come in. He's going to impact Gonzaga when he's eligible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to impact Gonzaga immediately because, yeah. because of what he brings to the table. I think he's a good guard that can see the floor really well. Um, but Florida just wasn't a spot. And yeah. Not, you know, 10 points a game last season. and that's, Yeah, that's not going to get you – that's not going to get you drafted. It's not going to get you in the NBA, but it's going to get you a developmental year to develop your outside shot. You know, shot at 32% rate last season. Is that is that okay? Is that average enough to make it to the NBA? Sure, but do you want to get that up to 40%? So, yeah, take it here, develop an outside shot. Obviously, can see the floor really well. I mean, that's what he does the best, averaging mm-hmm. almost six assists a game in his college career so far. So take a year, develop your outside shot, come into Gonzaga, kind of what Nigel Williams-Goss did, honestly. Yes. And, man, and Good point. Uh, helped lead uh, Gonzaga to a national championship. Obviously, they lost in, in the national title game, but yeah. uh, gets them there. So give Andrew Nemhart a year to develop an outside shot. I think he could be a great guard for them. Yeah, uh, It's, it's such a shame that we won't be able to see him and Jalen Suggs play together, though. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. If Jalen Suggs, I mean, Jalen Suggs would be a perfect, I would say, uh, compliment to Andrew Nemhard's game due to, yeah. I mean, Jalen Suggs. Jalen Sugg, Suggs, Suggs does it all. He can do everything. Yeah, obviously, you know, four-star high school football quarterback, too. So, yep. um, But basketball-wise, his true position is a combo guard, yep. which really means he's, you know, a blend of a point guard and shooting guard. He's got the shooting attributes of a shooting guard and a scoring. You know, he's got a great shot, uh, can get to the rack really well. But at the same time, uh, as a point guard, he sees the floor really well. And I think that's a perfect compliment to Andrew Nemhard and Gonzaga when, you know, Nemhard's going to have to sit the bench if, if Sugg stays for another year, which I think he will. I don't see him being a one-and-done player. Really? Yeah, I don't – 
he's small. I just don't see – I see him kind of coming in as like a Trey Jones, uh, having a good season, yeah. but maybe putting his name in but pulling it out just because he didn't have like the strong enough numbers. Uh, when you look at him, he doesn't jump off the table as, you know, a, a really like big guy, a guy that has a really good NBA size and frame. Mm-hmm. But if he returns – Teaming up with Nemhard, you know, obviously every year Gonzaga's got their name. Every year Gonzaga's got their name at the end of March, you know, in mm-hmm. the in, in the bracket. So uh, I think they can continue this that that uh, uh that path, and especially this is a big pickup, big pickup for the Zags. All right, and our last topic for today's episode, uh, UCLA. Their deal with Under Armour is kind of falling apart right in front of our eyes. They have a $280 million deal for Under Armour to make their uniforms and merchandise. But Under Armour wants out for some unexplained reason. It's it's sort of weird. There was sort of a similar situation going on with Texas Tech, but they were able to buckle down and get a deal done for, I think, four more years. Yeah. If, well, yeah. I mean, this, like you said, $280 million deal, dollar deal, that's a record deal. You know, yeah. no college is paying their uh, apparel uh, provider $280 million. Yeah. Like and like you said, unknown reasons. We don't know why Under Armour is trying to back out or trying to uh, reduce themselves or, you know, retreat themselves from the situation. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think some of it is – that Under Armour really hasn't gotten – they haven't really gotten the return on their investment that they wanted. And, I mean, also the, the prices. I was looking at the UCLA store, and there's a reason why. I mean, <laughs> the football jerseys are 100 bucks, and you compare that to most colleges. I mean, you can get a football jersey for 60 bucks. Yeah, and so – it's you know kids jerseys are ninety five and adult that's ridiculous. That as someone that is still wearing youth extra large jerseys, yeah. Yeah. that is ridiculous. I'm not gonna. I paid sixty dollars for my Joel Embiid jersey hanging up on the wall right now. I'm not gonna pay ninety five dollars for a UCLA football jersey. That's utterly right. ridiculous. And just a regular hat, forty bucks. I mean, you see how you see hats are, you know, twenty thirty, but forty. I mean. That, that's not helping UCLA sell yeah. the merch. So uh, I thought that was interesting that, yeah, UCLA and Under Armour are you know, probably going to part ways, but also UCLA's got something uh, strange going on around there. Yeah, around that athletic department. I feel like it could, do with lo- could have something to do with location too because Under Armour is located in Maryland and the UCLA is literally 3,000 miles away. So I feel like they'll go for a more local company. Like Nike, uh, I don't think they'll go back to Adidas. I think that Nike is literally their only option at this point, which would make sense because they sell merchandise for regional, reasonable price, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the jersey sixty dollars. Like my Ben Simmons jersey sixty dollars. Uh, it's like it's not expensive. I could see them. I could see them honestly joining Michigan, uh, Florida, yeah. North Carolina, Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Florida. Florida. I feel like UCLA. UCLA kind of fits that brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they've got going on. I could see some – I mean, that builds up a lot of hype too. I mean, you see every Jordan jersey reveal. I I feel like they've blown away my expectations. I love the Jordan jerseys. Oh, my God. Uh, the Jordan jerseys are so, so, so nice. I think they're cleaner than every other jersey in college football. You know, you talk about Oregon's. 
Nike jerseys, I think, is the only one that I really think of. And then I think of the Jordan jerseys. So I even could Oregon see Jordan jerseys are sick. Yeah, I mean, I could see, I could see uh, them maybe fitting the the UCLA criteria. Jordan, you know, going with, uh, you know, maybe maybe UCLA's apparel provider will be Jordan next season, which yep. I think builds a lot of hype in that LA area. And, I think, uh, I think I would buy something. I mean, like, let's be real. Like, if we really, if we really think about it, the way recruiting and all the NCAA talk that has gone on, it has benefit. I mean, it's going to benefit UCLA heavily. I yeah. mean, we talked about, we talked about it with Chris Jenkins. When college athletes are able to make money, you know, he brought up, are you telling me like as an 18 year old kid from wherever you are that you can go live in a penthouse in LA? Like you're not going to take that. Like obviously, like obviously you are. And obviously LA UCLA is right in the heart of all of that. Yeah. uh, Big rich lifestyle. Yeah. uh, I think, I think it's really interesting that, you know, California, you know, maybe some, more hot spots like California and Florida might be able to benefit from recruiting a little bit more. And then you talk about, you know, UCLA, if they make the right decision and they yeah. go with Mikey or Jordan, uh, you know, they're going to build that up. And, yeah. You know, recruits love that, you know, recruits love the flash and the bells and whistles. Exactly. And- like you get all, you get all the merch. Like when Michigan went to Jordan, they experienced like a huge recruiting boost. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So uh, you know, you talk about UCLA, and if they do make the right decision and go with Nike or Jordan, I think that they could experience. I think that you say basketball will benefit, and obviously UCLA football, because you know who 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 wouldn't want to go to LA, you know, and live in a penthouse if these recruiting rule if these recruiting rules are, you know, passed and college athletes are able to make money. Uh, I think I think UCLA. I think we could see UCLA getting back to their blue blood status that they once were with you know, John Wooden. That's all the time that we have for this week's episode of CBB 365. We probably won't have another episode coming out for a week or so because Adam is going on vacation to Florida, little getaway. Nice to clear his head, but yeah, that does it for this week's episode of CBB 365. We'll see you next week.